Well, hey, First Church, good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. If you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome, and I am fired up that you are here this Sunday because I believe today is gonna be a special day. We've been praying for it to be a special day for some time, and I'll talk about that here more in just a little bit. Before I do, I wanna welcome in our online family as well as our Modern Hymn family. I just looked online, and we've got Eli from Colorado who's worshiping with us. Alan who's in Houston today, and Addison, who's right here in Owasso. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. So glad that you guys are joining us as well. Well, we are in week five of our series, Base Camp. We've been talking about some of the foundational, fundamental issues of our faith so that we can continue to grow and be who God wants us to be. And I'm pumped to continue on in this series today. But as we get started, I wanna ask you a question. And the question is this, how many of you have seen the Netflix show, Is It Cake? Anybody seen this show, Is It Cake? Yeah, several of you. I was introduced to this just the other day, and my kids and I, we've watched, I don't know, two or three episodes of it, and they love it. And in case you haven't seen it, basically what the challenge is, is the contestants, they are to create cakes that look like real-life objects. So here's some examples. If you haven't seen the show, that's a hamburger that's actually a cake. I don't know why, but there's something very appetizing about that. And here's a shoe. Now that's not as appetizing. I don't want to eat a shoe, but still that's cake right there. And then here's a cooler that's actually cake. I mean, they're really creative on this show and has some really, really fun things that they do. But if you've ever watched the show, you know it starts off with them bringing out the contestants and they put six objects before them, five of which are the real deal. And then one of the six objects is cake, and they have to pick which one is the fake, which one is actually cake and not the real thing. And so I thought we would play a little bit today, and so I'm gonna put six objects up that are actually from this show. If you wanna go and put this up on the big screen, and we're gonna take a vote, and what I want you to do is I want you to vote on which one you think is actually cake and not the real thing. So just clap, cheer, whatever you need to do to let me know which number you're voting for, okay? So here we go. How many guys think number one is cake? Okay, I see one hand. I said clap or cheer, but that's all right. You guys follow instructions great. You really do, but that's awesome. We have one person. Hey, he might be right. I don't know. Okay, how many of you guys think number two is cake? Okay, a few of you, all right. How about number three, the football? Okay, a little bit more, okay. Number four, the dinosaur. Okay, like three or four, all right. What about the duck? Anybody think it's the duck? Okay, this section right here, they are duck people right here, you can tell. Okay, how about number six, the chessboard? All right, and then some of you, how many have no idea? Anybody have no idea? Okay, I think that's probably the majority of you. All right, well, the answer is, drum roll, it is number four, the dinosaur. And so I didn't hear very many people uh, vote for that one, but it's actually the dinosaur number four was cake. Everything else was real. Now, I only use that illustration to make this point. The point is, sometimes it's hard, it's difficult to tell the difference between what's real and what's fake, or in this case, what's real and what's cake. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But oftentimes when you get close enough to something, you can tell if it's the real deal or not. In John chapter 15, Jesus is walking with his disciples to a garden. He only has a few hours left with them because when he gets to this garden, eventually he's going to be betrayed. He's gonna be arrested. He's gonna go to the cross for all of our sins. But as he's walking to the garden, he and his disciples are passing by some grapevines. Grapevines grew all over this region, all over this area, some of which had been there for generations. 
And Jesus, in these final hours that he has with his disciples, wants to teach them something. The disciples know that something is up, but they're not exactly sure what. But they know something is up. Jesus knows exactly what is getting ready to happen. And so in these final hours that he has to teach his followers, this is what he says to them. Jesus, the master of metaphor, says, I am the true vine. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus' disciples would have been really familiar with his imagery. Like I said, there were vines, branches that grew everywhere, all throughout this area, all throughout this region. They would have been very familiar with this image. But not only that, in their day and age, a grapevine was a sign of life and vitality. In fact, above the temple, as you entered the temple on those columns, there was this huge statue of a golden grapevine with grapes on it as a sign that this is the place where you come and you can find life. God is the source of life. The disciples would have been really familiar with this imagery. And so when Jesus says, no branch can bear fruit unless it is attached to the vine, they all would have understood that. Well, duh, Jesus, we all know that. But Jesus is using this metaphor for a reason. And I think he gives us his reason in the very first words that we looked at a second ago. I am the true vine. Now, that Greek adjective true can also be translated real or authentic. The opposite of what's fake. The opposite of what's phony. The opposite of an imitation. And so if Jesus is telling us, I am the true vine, then what he's also letting us know is there are other imposter vines out there. There are other counterfeit vines out there. And those counterfeit vines, they promise life. And if you attach yourself to them, you may think that you're going to receive life, full life, complete life, joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment. You may think that that's what you're going to get. But in the end, you will be left empty. You will be left with nothing. Jesus says, I am the true vine, meaning I am the only way to really experience life. And how many of us have ever tried to attach ourselves to a counterfeit source of life? It's like filling up your car that takes gasoline with water. You can fill your tank up with water all the way but you're not gonna get very far, are you? And some of us have had the experience of trying to fill our lives up with things that ultimately don't matter. We've tried to attach ourselves to false, phony sources of life. And in the end, we've been left with nothing. See, this passage is all about connection. And that's the reason why Jesus gives us this passage, because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all about connection because he doesn't want for us to be apart from him. He doesn't want for us to be disconnected from him. But notice over and over and over again in this text, he uses one common word. It's the word remain. And remain is a command. He is telling us that we are to do something. He is telling us that remaining in him, staying connected to him, being connected to him is always a choice. And so let me ask you today on this day, 
Are you connected to Jesus? Because what is a branch that's not connected to a vine? It's a stick, right? I mean, a branch that isn't connected to a vine is a stick. And no one wants to be a stick, not just a stick in the mud. No one wants to be a stick in general, right? I mean, sticks are boring. Sticks are dead. Sticks don't produce anything. They're lifeless. Nobody wants to be a stick. In fact, the only thing that sticks are good for to be thrown into the burn pile. That's what Jesus even says in this passage. He goes on to say, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. I brought with me today a stick, in case you don't know what one looks like. I brought a stick with me, you probably do, and I've attached to it some fruit. Now, this isn't real fruit. This is plastic fruit, fake fruit. Uh, But from a distance... This fruit may look appetizing. I don't know if you can tell if it's real or fake. I don't have a clue. But if you got close enough to it, you would be able to tell that it's fake. It's being held on by string, okay? It's fake. It's plastic. And even if you couldn't tell by getting real close to it, if you were to take a bite of this fruit, you would be really disappointed, okay? This isn't real. See, the best that you can get from an imitation vine is imitation fruit. The best you can get from an imposter vine is imposter fruit. A fruit that is posing as something that it's really not. And so when I look at this, it breaks my heart because I'm afraid this is what so many people in our culture today have settled for. A life that is producing nothing but plastic fruit, fake fruit, dead fruit, withering fruit, maybe no fruit at all. But a life that's just a stick that's there, but not really producing anything that's lasting. And so today, if this is your life, if this is what you have settled for, let me give you some hope. You don't have to stay here. Because Jesus came so that we could attach our lives to him, the source of life, so that we can produce what we were created to produce. So that we could have true meaning, true purpose in our lives. So that we could live full and content, whole lives. He is giving us the opportunity, the choice to link ourselves to him, the true and final source of life. And I can stand here today and tell you that there is hope for you if this is the life that you've settled for. Because I was once here. My life was once full of plastic fruit meaningless, worthless fruit until Jesus changed my life. And now I can stand before you today and say, you don't have to stay here anymore. You don't have to settle for this anymore. So let me ask, when you examine your life, what fruit do you see? Do you see plastic fruit, dead fruit, withering fruit, No fruit? Or do you see this? Galatians chapter 5. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because this is what Jesus is offering us. Now, don't misunderstand me. None of us are perfect. I don't perfectly live out this list, okay? I'm not going to claim to. None of us are perfect. But this is what we will start to see develop in our lives the longer we are attached to Jesus. 
The longer we are connected to Jesus, the more this will be the byproduct of our lives. And so let me ask you, when you look at your household, do you see love, true love, lasting love, godly love in your household? When you look at your daily life, do you have joy even on the rough days? Do you have this inner joy that the world doesn't have? Do you have peace when you lay your head down at night? Do you have peace? I know it's a morbid thought, but when you lay your head down at night, if you didn't wake up that next morning, would you have peace knowing exactly where you would be? What about patience? When you're driving down the highway and you get into traffic, do you have patience? It's probably not a great example for some of us, but still, do you have patience? I see some elbows already, okay. What about the rest? When people see you, do they see kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Now again, none of us are perfect at this list, but the longer we are connected to Jesus, the more we will see this in our lives. Now, don't, again, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me. This is not the source of our salvation. I'm not saying that if you're good and if you're faithful and if you, you know, live with love and all that, then you'll be saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you connect your life to Jesus, this is the result. And you see more and more of it the longer you are connected to him. Let me put it this way. If we get the connection right, then the life we're longing for will come. This is how you live a full life, is if you stay connected to Jesus. Because here's the thing. You can have a full bank account, but your heart still be empty. You can have a full house, but your life still feel empty. You can have a bed that is never empty and your soul still be empty. The stuff of this world will never satisfy us. But Jesus is the source, the meaning, the purpose of life. And without him, we will never really live. And so I wanna ask again, are you connected to Jesus? Because if not, you can be. And maybe the reason why your life feels like there's something missing, feels like it's not what it should be, is because you've never really gone all in with him. So what I wanna do is I wanna talk about what it takes to go all in with Jesus. And next week, we're gonna wrap up this series next week, and I'm gonna talk about what it means to stay connected to Jesus over the long haul, for the long term. But today, I wanna talk about what it means to first really get connected, to go all in with Jesus. And some of you need to hear that today because you've been disconnected from him for a while. Some of you have never made that step to go all in with him. And some of you have friends who are talking about that, but you don't know what to tell them. I think this message has something for everybody. But if you're in that spot right now, you might be asking the question, okay, what should I do? I mean, I get it. Like, I, I understand who Jesus is, but what do I need to do? What's the next step? Well, anytime somebody asks me a question, I like to go back to the Bible, and believe it or not, this question is answered directly in Acts chapter two. See, Acts is the early history of the church, and on the day that the church began in Acts chapter two, we see that the disciples stand up before thousands of people, the same people in Jerusalem that had just wanted Jesus to be crucified, they stand up before them, and even though the people wanted Jesus to be killed, they now know that his crucifixion is not the end of the story because Jesus has been seen alive after he was crucified. 
And so Peter stands up with the rest of the disciples to explain what has just happened. And for the first time on this side of the resurrection, Peter and the apostles get to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And as they're wrapping up the message, this is what Peter says. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. In other words, God has made this one that you wanted to go on the cross both Lord over all, reigning over all, and Christ, the Savior, the Messiah of the world, the only one who can save you from the empty life that you are now living in. And when the people heard this, look at their response. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by this. They knew it was true. They believed what Peter and the other disciples were preaching and teaching. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's that question, right? What do we need to do? And I want you to pay careful attention to something. Peter doesn't say nothing. I mean, you already believe in your heart what we're saying, so you're good. It's not what they say. Because Peter and the other apostles know something. They know what the Bible also teaches is that even the demons believe See, it's one thing to believe in your head that Jesus is who he claims to be. It's a whole other thing to actually have a relationship with him. There's a big difference. And sometimes we think if we just know who Jesus is in our head, then that's enough. We just believe who he is in our head, then that's enough. But the Bible says even the demons believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. See, you can know all about Jesus and not actually know him. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you believe everything the Bible says about Jesus. Maybe you believe he rose from the dead. Maybe you believe his teachings are true, but you've never actually gone all in and following him and having a relationship with him. See, what I have started to figure out, or people knew this before I did, it just took me a little while longer to get it, is that what a lot of people in our culture need is not more information about Jesus. But what they need is to let Jesus transform them. We have a lot of information about Jesus out there. And a lot of people know what they need to know. They just haven't allowed themselves to be transformed by Jesus. And maybe that's where you are right now. These people on the day of Pentecost, they wanted to be transformed by Jesus. They wanted to go all in. So look at what Peter tells them. Here's the question, what shall we do? And this is Peter's answer. This is inspired by God's spirit. Peter is telling them what they need to do. The first time the gospel's ever preached, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, all of you, not just some of you, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, The promise is for you and your children, for all generations, including us today, and for all who are far off, for all who are far from God, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. So what does Peter tell these people to do? He says, repent and be baptized. Those aren't my words. Those are Peter's words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, repent and be baptized. And what does this mean? Well, repent is a word that means to turn around, to change your direction. 
In other words, you're going in one direction, but you realize that direction is not the right way to go. So you've been trying to live life your own way. You've been trying to call the shots in your own life. You've been trying to do life your way. And how's that working for you? Not very well. So Jesus says, I have another way. And you decide to turn from your own way, trying to figure out life on your own, and you turn to Jesus' way, and you start walking with him. That's what it means to repent. But then Peter goes on to say, be baptized. And the Greek word baptized is the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, to dip, or to submerge in water. And if you've ever seen us do a baptism here at First Church, you've probably seen us do this. We put people totally under the water. We immerse them in water because that's the biblical example. Now, if you're new to church, that might, I mean, I get it. That might seem a little weird. I mean, honestly, if you're new to church and you've never seen a baptism and you walk in and you see a bunch of adults getting in a big tub and dunking one another, that's odd. You know, I mean, that's, that's a little weird. I get it. I understand. I, it really is. I see where you're coming from if that's what you think. And not only is it just odd to see, but these adults that are dunking one another in water, they're also like really excited about it. I mean, they're like really happy and full of joy and smiling and laughing. And some people are crying and women, their mascara is running. And it's just, it's a mess but they're happy all at the same time, right? So I get it. You might look at that and say, that's weird. And it's one of those things that unless you understand what it is, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Somebody sent me this this week from the state of Kentucky. There was a lawyer who asked to move his client's next court date due to the possibility that Kentucky men's basketball might be in the final four on that date. And so the motion was granted. The judge granted the motion to move the court date for the possibility that Kentucky might be in the final four when it comes to basketball. Now, if you're not from Kentucky, you're probably thinking, that's crazy. Why would a judge move a court date? I'm from there. It makes total sense, okay? I'm from there. I get it. I don't even, I don't even look twice at that. I mean, you know, that makes total sense to me because I'm from there. I get it. And if you're from there, you understand. It's the same thing when it comes to baptism. If you've never been part of the church, or if you don't know what it is, then it looks a little weird. But when you understand the why behind the what, you get it. And the Bible tells us the why, Romans chapter six. Or don't you know, Paul writes, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, notice that. When we're baptized, we make contact on a spiritual level with the death of Jesus. Paul says this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The Greek says walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, if we have this connection with him, through baptism, in his death, Paul says, get this, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I love that. Because what Paul here is teaching us 
is that something special on a spiritual level happens when we are baptized into Jesus to where we connect with his death, but not just his death, his resurrection. And that's why we immerse in water because baptism is a burial where we go into the water and we leave our past life behind. We are turning from our past life. We leave our sins. We leave our regrets. We leave our shame. We leave it behind. And when we rise from the waters of baptism, Jesus raises us up in new life. How exciting is that? And when we get that new life, it's not because anything that we've done. It's not because of the person who is actually baptizing us and bringing us up. They may be physically bringing us up, but they're not doing anything. It's God that's doing the work. It's God that is making this moment a pivotal moment in our lives as we choose to walk with Jesus in this new chapter. It's a beautiful thing. See, at baptism, at baptism, we choose to go all in with Jesus. That's why it's full immersion, because we choose to go all in with Jesus. We're leaving it all behind, and we choose to go all in with Jesus because it's an invitation to be part of the story of his resurrection. See, we're not just supposed to talk about the resurrection. We're supposed to join in the resurrection. And it's a moment where we can join in the resurrection of Jesus in a powerful way. Did you notice how Peter presented this teaching on baptism? Back in Acts chapter two, when he said, repent and be baptized. Did you notice what he said? This promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far away. See, even though this is a command, don't misunderstand me, Peter doesn't present it like he's laying down the law. He doesn't present it like, you better get baptized or else. That's not how Peter is presenting it. Some people do, and you know, I wonder where they're coming from when they do. Peter doesn't present it like this. Peter doesn't present it as laying down the law. He presents it as laying out a promise. He's saying, this is the promise that you can receive, that you can embrace. If you will come and fully go all in with Jesus. And when the people heard this, look at how they responded. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say that some people said, no, nah, I don't think I need to, Peter. No, I'm good, I'm good. I don't need to, Peter, I'm good, you're fine. Everybody else can, that's good for them, but I'm good. God and I have been talking and we're, and, and we're good. Nobody says that. Those who accepted what Peter was preaching is true. We're baptized and 3,000 people were added to their number that day. You know why? Because the early church didn't see baptism as a suggestion. See, Jesus commanded it, and they knew that. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Not only that, Jesus himself was baptized. And so the early followers of Jesus said, okay, Jesus commands it and Jesus did it. If anybody didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus, right? I mean, he's perfect, right? And yet he said he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, so if Jesus commanded it, and Jesus did it, 
Followers of Jesus follow Jesus, right? It's really not that complicated, and yet, we've made it complicated in the church for some reason, and people will fight over baptism? Something that is supposed to unite us with the resurrection of Jesus? Something that is supposed to unite us with the body of Christ at large? People will fight over baptism? I think Satan knows what he's doing. See, in the early church, no one ever asked the question, do I need to get baptized? Do I really need to do it? We don't see that question in the entire book of Acts. Book of Acts, early history of the church, first 30, 40 years of the church, we don't see that question ever asked. Do I really need to be baptized? Nobody ever asked that. They just do it. In fact, there are seven conversion experiences in the book of Acts where people come to know Jesus, and in all seven conversion experiences that we have, all of these people who choose to follow Jesus are baptized. Baptism is included in all of these stories. Why? Because they were followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus commanded them to do. It was a promise that they wanted to be a part of. And I get it. I understand why. I've become an Oklahoma City Thunder fan here since I've lived here. I never had an NBA fan, uh, team before. Uh, in college basketball, of course, I cheer for Kentucky, but I never had an NBA team. But since I'm here, I start cheering for the Thunder, and I like the Thunder, even though they're not always that good. I still cheer for them anyway. And if you guys follow the Thunder, you know that last year that the Thunder got the number two pick in the NBA draft, Chet Holgram. And Chet is, was a great player. A lot of teams wanted him. And there were a lot of fans on the Orlando Magic who wanted Chet because uh, Chet was good. And so some of their blogs and some of their websites started to put up pictures of Chet wearing an Orlando Magic jersey. Even though he wasn't picked yet by anybody and he never wore an Orlando Magic jersey, they photoshopped him in a Magic jersey because they wanted him to come to Orlando. Now we all know, as I just said, OKC picked him up and doesn't he look a lot better in an OKC jersey? I think so, I'm just waiting for him to play. He's been hurt this season, but when he comes out to play, he's gonna be a beast, I know it, you know. But why is it that they photoshopped him in an Orlando jersey? It's because when you put the jersey on, it declares what team you're on. And it's interesting to me that in Galatians chapter three, Paul writes this. To the church, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. In other words, the old teams that you are a part of, you're not part of those teams anymore. Now that you've been baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Jesus so that when you stand before God, you don't stand before God in your filthy rags anymore. You stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus himself. And what the Bible is telling us is there is no supernatural power in the water. We're not saying that. There's no supernatural power in that water over there. But it's in the water that God unleashes his supernatural power. See, baptism isn't anything we do. It's not a work that we do. It's God's work. God's the one that does something in baptism. And when you allow for yourself to be connected to him in that way, connected to the vine, he transforms your life. I heard a story several years ago, it happened in 2019. There was a large church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and they decided that they wanted to do a prison ministry. So they started a campus, a church campus on a prison. They got permission to do this. 
They started in 2019 holding church services there. And just tons of prisoners came to worship. Very passionate about Jesus. And after a few months of this church leading these services, they had appointed a campus minister for their prison campus who was there most of the time. And the warden called him into his office and said, hey, I got five inmates that want to be baptized. Does your church do that? <laughs> and the campus minister was like, yeah. And he said, well, I just need to let you know something. Some of these guys are from rival gangs. And the rival gangs don't associate with one another in prison because they'll kill one another. And we need to make sure that we keep them apart when we baptize them. And the campus minister said, hey, whatever you need to do, if these guys want to be baptized, we'll do it. So the day came for them to be baptized and all those who'd been attending the campus church there came out to watch it. And the men came in handcuffs and they took the handcuffs off to baptize them. And the guards were careful to keep the men apart because remember, rival gangs. But at one point when one man came up from the waters of baptism with everybody cheering, there was all this emotion, another one of the prisoners who was being baptized went right up to him while he was still in the water. And everybody kind of jumped back like, oh, we've, we've missed this. You know, there's gonna be a fight right here. And in that moment, the two embraced and hugged as brothers in Christ. And the campus minister was quoted in saying this. He was saying, these guys from two different gangs professed the same Lord and were baptized in the same water together and they walked out together. Guards not holding on to their arms anymore because God had done something new in their life. See, that's what happens when we connect to the vine because the vine changes us. The vine transforms us. I remember in the first ministry, preaching ministry I ever had, there was a man who, his wife came to church, but he never did. And his wife prayed and prayed for him to come. And one day this man, his brother died. And so he started to think about his own mortality. And so he showed up to church. And what you need to know about this man is the reason why he didn't come to church is because this man never learned how to read. He, he dropped out of school in the third grade. And he had worked hard his entire life to make a living in manual labor, but he didn't know how to read. And so one time as an adult, he showed up with his wife to church and the Sunday school teacher called on him to read out loud. He got so embarrassed, he never came back. But after thinking about his brother dying or he was close to, he thought he needed something. He was missing something. He was empty. So he showed up to church and I built a relationship with him and started talking with him. And for the first several weeks he was there, we talked about nothing. We talked about case knives and different random things that he wanted to talk about. But then he got hungry for the word, but he couldn't read. And this is how old this story is. I bought him the New Testament on cassette tape for him to listen to. And his wife told me a few weeks after I gave him those cassettes that he was wearing those cassettes out, listening to the word of God. And one day I was talking to him on the phone and he said, Chad, you busy? And I was like, what's up? And he said, today's the day. And I knew what he wanted. I made him at the church building with some of his friends and family and we baptized him into Christ. And when he came out of the waters of baptism, what you need to know is this man hardly ever smiled. And he lived a rough life. He did not smile. He's one of those like, you know, guys that just never cracked a smile. And when he came out of the waters of baptism, he was grinning from ear to ear. Never seen him smile like that. And I wasn't the only one that noticed it. One of his friends that was there said, well, I've never seen you smile like that. And he looked at me, he said, I've never had what I have right now. Guys, I've heard stories of missionaries in other countries 
especially Muslim countries where people have come to get baptized and when they say they're going all in, they're going all in because they bring suitcases with them because once they get baptized in Christ, their family won't take them back. But Jesus is worth it. What he's offering is worth it. I heard a preacher tell just the other day the story of being in an African nation and they were getting ready to baptize people and the preacher got ready to get into the water to baptize people and when he got ready to get into the water, they said, oh no, hold up. And some guys got out with some sticks and started to stir the water up. He said, what's going on? He said, there are poisonous snakes in this water. We need to make sure we scare them off before we baptize people. And my preacher friend said, I was willing to let somebody else do the baptisms that day, you know? But he said dozens of people got into that water with the possibility of poisonous snakes and were baptized into Jesus because they knew what Jesus was offering was worth it. Now the baptisms were quick, but they still did it because they knew what Jesus was offering. And I have up here with me my baptism certificate from years ago. And I found it the other day. Actually, my parents found it. They brought it to me. And I was looking at it and I noticed that it's kind of weird, because not only do they, do they have my name and the date of my baptism, they also have the date of my birth. I don't know, we don't put that on our baptism certificates, but for some reason it has the date of my birth, and they got it wrong. Uh, it's a year off. It has me a year older than what I actually am. And so I was joking about it with Allison and the kids, and uh, Allison said, well, I guess your baptism doesn't count then. You know, your certificate's filled out wrong. And my little nine-year-old son, in all of his wisdom said, they got the most important date right, Daddy. There's gonna come a day when I'm gonna stand before God. And so are you. And it's not gonna matter the day I was born. And it's really not gonna matter the day that I leave this earth either. The only thing that's gonna matter is the day that I went all in for Jesus. Because I know that I will be able to stand in confidence before God, clothed not in my filthy rags, but in the righteousness of Jesus. So today, we're gonna to do something different. We're gonna have a response time, and we normally don't do this, but we're gonna have a response time, and as we do, if you're somebody that just needs prayer today because Satan's been attacking you hard, come down front. We're gonna have people down front to pray with you. If you're somebody that maybe went all in with Jesus some time ago, but for some reason you've kind of gotten away from him, you need to rededicate your life. We pray that you do that. Guys, I believe there is a revival starting in our nation right now, and I think Satan has overplayed his hand. I really do. I think, I think there is a revival coming unlike anything that we've seen before in our lifetimes. But I think a revival has been happening here at First Church for months now. And you can be a part of it. And maybe today, you're not somebody that needs to rededicate your life. There'll be people down here to pray with you if you need to do that. Or maybe just pray for a certain situation in your life because Satan's attacking you. But maybe you need to get connected to Jesus for the very first time. We're ready to baptize you today if you want that. And you may be thinking, but I didn't bring any clothes or anything. It's okay, we got clothes. We got these awesome made new First Church shirts that we will give you, you can take home with you today, okay? We've got shorts for you to wear. We've got towels. We've got everything that you need. You don't need anything. You may be thinking, but I don't know enough yet. The only thing you need to know is you're a sinner. You need a savior and Jesus is that savior. That's the only thing you need to know. You may be thinking, but I was, a, I was sprinkled as a child and I don't want my parents to get upset with me. Guys, the reason why your parents did that was because they wanted you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. This is the fulfillment of that. Guys, Satan will whisper a thousand different excuses in your ears for why you shouldn't do it. 
But there's only one reason to do it. It's the most important reason to do it. And that is to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so today, we're gonna be down front. If you just wanna talk about it with somebody, we're here to talk about it. If you wanna do it today, we'll do it. But we're gonna have a response time and I'm praying there's a big response. Whether you just need prayer, whether you need to rededicate your life, whether you need to talk to somebody about anything or whether you wanna get baptized today, we're gonna be down front. And I wanna leave you with the words that the Apostle Paul heard years ago when he was first accepting Jesus. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away calling on his name. No excuses. Today's the day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to open up your word. I thank you for the promise that we have in your son. And Father, I want the world to know, I want you to know, I want the cosmos to know whose team I'm on, and that is Team Jesus. And so, Father, today I know there are others listening to this message that you have been working on their hearts. And if you have been working on their hearts, I pray that they respond today. If somebody needs to rededicate their life to you, if somebody just needs somebody to pray with them, if somebody needs to talk to somebody, or somebody needs to get baptized today, this is the moment to do it. And Father, I pray, I pray that your spirit moves in this place, coming from the four winds of the earth as Ezekiel prayed for, to breathe life into this world, into these lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.